Hey everyone, it's Supernova Jones and welcome back to uh, another damn podcast. This week we continue the series, Are We Protecting Black Women or? Where I choose a different black woman each week who has been scrutinized by her peers and offer some perspective on why that is. If you haven't listened to my last two episodes, please go back and listen to them. I discuss Lori Harvey in the first episode and Azalea Banks in the second one. Now, like I've said in each episode, this isn't to change your mind on these women, but just to offer you some perspective, especially when it comes to the rhetoric of protecting black women that we have seen to grow popular in the past, in the last few years. Has protecting black women become another trend or hashtag like Black Lives Matter, or is it an actual verb that we're taking action on and applying to all black women? And if we are taking action on it, how do we decide who deserves protecting or not? So far, my series, well, so far for my series, I choose women who I feel aren't being protected and try to offer some perspective on why that may be. For this week's episode of Are We Protecting Black Women or I have chosen Miss Candace Owens. Are we protecting black women or is are we still protecting black women or is Candace Owens a sellout? And let's get right into it. So, of course, like my last episode, when discussing these women, I try to give everyone some insight on their background, where they come from, their career, as well as whatever drama or issue they've had in social media that I feel has caused them to be cast aside by their peers and those peers that are supposed to be protecting them. So, first of all, what is a sellout? Okay. Um, When I looked in Urban Dictionary, it, it says that it's a sellout is anyone who sacrifices artistic integrity. So they're talking about mostly in the music industry um, to become more successful or popular. Or it could be someone who forgets their roots. Now, when I think of sellouts, especially, let's say, people who we've openly called sellouts in our, in our community, I think about like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan and essentially any black man who dates white women. So it never really affects black women, right? Because we have Serena Williams, who seems to be making out just fine. And we even praised and, you know, invited to the cookout, Meghan Markle and Harry, all because it meant we might have a princess in Buckingham Palace. And that actually didn't work out the way we thought it would. Candace Owens, uh, she was an interesting person to do research on, though, because I really didn't know much of anything about her besides the fact that she was an open Republican and Trump supporter. So my first interaction with her was actually watching one of her lives on IG, and I found it to be very informative and refreshing, especially to see such an educated and passionate Black woman on social media really commanding attention and speaking from the heart. And like Isaiah Banks, she seemed to be very strong will, bold, unwavering, and unapologetic about her views and ideas. And I admired her ability to share information. She actually taught me a lot in that one live. And I went on to watch a few others because, you know, she really spit some knowledge to me and the the others were just as informative. So I kind of wondered why a powerful Black woman like this could be disliked solely based on her political views when the information I got from that live was informative, like I said, and I actually hadn't heard any other Black woman uh, speaking on the topic she was speaking about in such capacity before. But from what I've seen on Black Twitter and in the Black community, she's someone that's not well-liked or respected, and it seems to be mainly due to, like I said, her ties to the Republican Party. 
um, and statements that she's made regarding the black community and as well as her marriage to a Caucasian man. Now, many African-Americans identify as Democrats, so it's not unusual that she may be seen as a sellout to her community for siding with the Republican Party. But why can't she be a Republican? Why can't any African-American be a Republican? So it made me wonder, what is a Republican? What are their views? What sets them apart from the Democratic Party so much that any African-American who decides to affiliate with the party is seen as a sellout to their community? Now, many of you won't admit this, but you are all Democrats if you do affiliate with the Democratic Party because your family or your friends are Democrats or because celebrities you like are Democrats or because you've seen the backlash you get for being an African-American who sides with anything other than the Democratic Party. But what do you know about being a Democrat besides what social media tells you? I mean, I can admit, when I was finally at the legal age to vote, I didn't do any research on the parties. It was Obama versus McCain. And at the time, I wasn't going to vote for Obama. My ex-husband was just joining the military, and McCain seemed to have real innovative and good ideas about the direction he wanted to take the country, and I sided with his military views. But all it took was one speech from Obama to sway me. And after that, I was buying shirts from Urban Outfitters. Y'all know the shit I'm talking about with his face, you know, plastered on. I was sending my ex letters in boot camp, letting him know that, you know, I wasn't going to be voting for McCain anymore, that I was going to be voting for Obama. And I was definitely out in the streets celebrating when he won, because in my mind, he was actually going to be changing things. Now, I can admit that, unfortunately, my second time voting for Obama wasn't because I believed he had done anything for me as a black woman, but mainly because I wanted to keep a black man in office. I was older. I had two kids. I was still married, but there was no change that I could see in the political world besides gay rights or any change in the political world that affected my life. And I can admittedly admittedly say that I did no research on Democrats versus Republican and what either or other party represented. So when it came to looking up what the Republican Party was, I used good old Wikipedia, and it says that it is the the position of the Republican Party has evolved, and currently they are um, conservatives who support lower tax, free market capitalism, deregulation, uh, deregulation of corporations, and restrictions on labor unions. And their philosophy leans more towards individual freedom, rights, and responsibilities, whereas Democrats are attached to greater importance to equality and social community and responsibility, whatever all of that means, okay? Um, Republicans oppose, oppose gun control and are strong supporters of Second Amendment rights. They believe taxes shouldn't be increased for anyone, including the wealthy, and that wages should be set by the free market. Mark, uh, market. They oppose gay marriage, as we know. They oppose abortion. They support the death penalty. And uh, what was very interesting to me was that the Republican Party was founded in 1854 by an anti-slavery expansion activist and modernizers. And they rose to promise, uh, prominence with the election of Abraham Lincoln. He was Abraham Lincoln was actually the first Republican president. And that party presided over the American Civil War and Reconstruction and was, um, you know, so they were kind of like full against slavery and all that. So, so I, I found that interesting that uh, this party, they had their roots in 
individual freedom and the abolition of slavery. Okay. Um, so that was, that was interesting to read about them. So currently, uh, in 2021, according to Gallup.com, 43% of the population is affiliated with, um, the Republican party. And when we look at Republican party affiliation within the States, we'll see that red States normally have the highest population of Caucasians. For example, Pew Research shows that 91% of the white population in Connecticut identifies as Republican. And I picked Connecticut because that's where Candace Owens is from. Okay. So now when it comes to people's beliefs, people feel strongly about them. Okay. Especially in the digital era. They so strongly, you will get deleted as a friend on Facebook if you have different beliefs or different political affiliations than somebody else. So I can understand, I can understand off rip why there's an immediate hate for Candace. You know, I mean, I was deleted by a woman who my daughter used to have sleepovers at her house. She was white, another military wife. She deleted me on social media because I asked her, why would she vote for someone who doesn't kind of align with her, uh, her views? Okay. Her social views, because she was more of like a, uh, you know, believed, but she believed in like social justice and social rights and funding for like certain programs, but she was voting Republican. So I didn't, I was, I didn't understand how the two mixed. So she deleted me and that's fine. But now with Candace, I don't feel like anyone's really researched her or kind of like looked into what her views actually are besides whatever statements she said that, you know, are kind of taken by social media and, you know, they highlight the negative or they highlight certain things um, that she says, which I'm not going to say I didn't read anything that was kind of off the wall, but um, I hadn't heard any of the other stuff that I researched and I found out about her. I only heard like those negative things, right? But um, but yeah, let, let's so let, let's get into that. Let's get into Candace, all right? Who she is and where she's from. So now each episode, I've discussed the individual's astrological astrological sign because I feel it's very important in defining who they are and why they act the way they do. So I'm just gonna briefly touch on Candace. She is 33 years old. She's a Taurus, and she's from Stanford, Connecticut. So off rip. If you know anything about Tauruses, the first word that should come to mind to you is stubborn. They are very stubborn. They're headstrong, they're possessive, you know, so I'm not shocked that no matter what heat or hate Candace has been receiving from the black community or any community, that it hasn't changed her stance or stopped her from bullying her way into the spotlight with her point of view on politics. She's actually the perfect candidate for the job because as a fixed sign, which Taurus is a fixed sign, there's no change in her mind until she decides it's the best idea to do so, which I did see. Um, within the research that I did on her. So uh, her being from Connecticut, as a native New Yorker myself, I know enough about Connecticut to know that anything outside of Bridgeport, Connecticut, is going to be predominantly white. And according to the World Population Review, only 13.87% of the population in Stanford is black. And according to Wikipedia, 49.3% of that population is non-Hispanic. And like I told you guys earlier, 91% of that white population is Republican. So already we see that, you know, she grew up surrounded by white Republicans, which could explain her affinity to the Republic, Republican Party. And even when I went on her Instagram today, all I saw was pictures of her with friends and 
there was, you know, intimate settings, her baby shower, her wedding, and she was always the only black girl in the room. I don't even think I saw pictures of people from her family uh, on her Instagram. Okay. A little, little, again, a little bit of her background. She was raised by her grandparents, um, one of which is from the U.S. Virgin Islands. So she has some Caribbean ancestry. Um, But in high school, it was her, like her first, first, first way that we kind of saw her in social media, if you even heard about this story. I know I didn't. Um, and we're only a year apart. So that's interesting. Oh, man, told you I'm my age. <laughs> but it was it was interesting that I hadn't heard about this, um, this story. In high school, she received death threats from racist uh, white students. Right. And it was a big deal because there was a whole big inv- investigation that went into it. And come to find out, one of the males that called and was threatening her, like saying some wild stuff to her, like they're going to shoot her in the back of the head like Martin Luther King was shot, uh, that she's uh, she's a fucking black uh, poor. Uh, they don't give a fuck about Rosa Parks. Like it was definitely racially motivated. But one of the kids, one of the people that left her this voicemail, so she happened to not even answer the phone and it was all caught on voicemail. Um, was the son of the governor, I believe, at the time. So that's what made it like a really big deal. Um, Her parents were able to sue and she was able to get some money from that, but uh, it was still a crazy situation. And she actually discusses it. She she discusses the incident on a TED Talk. So I did watch the TED Talk for the first time today um, when I was doing the research on her. And I'm actually going to touch on that at the end of the podcast because I found it so interesting and so enlightening um, what she talked about, because it's so closely related to my series on uh, are we protecting black women or is it just a hashtag, you know, or is it something that we're practicing on the daily? And her incident, it was very moving to me, like I said, because it's my first time watching it. Um, and I like I've told you, I don't really have any connection to these women besides maybe liking the picture, listening to a song or listening to a few lies, but I don't really get any continued stimulation from them um, that would create any kind of bias for the episodes. But the more I learn about them, the more it puzzles me on why they're so hated, um, just based on their strong opinions. Okay, So moving further on into her life, I learned that she went to school for journalism in Rhode Island, but she dropped out of college. And then in 2015, she started a blog that was very anti-conservative and anti-Trump. So she wasn't always on the Trump bandwagon. She actually even mocked him for his penis size on this blog. Okay, so that was in 2015. And later in 2016, she created a website that would allow people to expose bullies online. Okay, so basically what she did was if you had a bully, somebody that was bothering you, you would send her the information and she would try to track down who these people were and she'd expose them. Okay, but what started to happen was a lot of people started to argue and mostly liberals started to argue that this was an invasion of privacy. Right. Isn't that crazy? And then what they started to do was, you know, try to bully her in a sense and try to pull out all this stuff on her. And eventually she notates this as how she became a conservative overnight because she realized that liberals were racist and trolls. And from 2017 on is where she began launching herself into the conservative world. So to kind of look more into why don't black people like her, 
here are some of the reasons why I think, you know, that's kind of linked to why people, you know, kind of oppose her. So for for starters, she's a Trump supporter, right? And very open, proud Trump supporter. Okay. She's had, she's has her own show now. She's had him on her show. She's been on the campaign with him, um, multiple times we've seen her, um, but we've seen what has happened to anyone um, in the black community who openly supports Trump. I mean, look at Ice Cube and Kanye West. Um, she believes that African-Americans have a victim mentality, and I'll kind of get more into that a little later. She opposes abortion. Um, she thinks that abortion is a tool for the extermination of black babies. And I'll definitely talk about Margaret Sanger again, more towards the end of this and all this information about her views I got from Wikipedia. I just wanted to go ahead and notate that. And also just from watching her own YouTube video, she has a, a podcast, she has a YouTube page. So I kind of was able to dissect a lot of this information from watching those videos, going to her Instagram. But I just wanted to make note of that. Okay. She opposes welfare programs. She says that Demo the Democratic Party, um, it uses welfare programs as a tool to keep Black Americans dependent upon the government. And she actually wrote a book about it um, that's called Blackout. Uh, she's against, well, she was very for the border that they were trying to um, build in Mexico. And she believes that undocumented immigrants uh, in the U.S. should be deported. Now, she did argue that George Floyd was not a good person. And, you know, she kind of feels like his arrest was warranted. I didn't see anything on her views on his death now, but um, I did read that those were her, you know, her comments. And she feels like the, the fact that he's held up as a martyr is sickening. OK, so um, she did say, yeah, she she did. She she was quoted in calling him a horrible human being. And she felt like using his race was just like a narrative by social media to get everyone in uproar, to get everyone upset about the situation and, you know, just kind of like a tool by social media. So she argues about that a lot as well, about how social media and celebrities use black pain and black uh, hurt to kind of stir up emotions and stir up riots and, you know, all this other stuff. Um She's against the COVID vaccine and she's against uh, many other vaccines as well. Um, and she's very open about that, um, uh, how, you know, that she's against it. Okay. She had a feud with Cardi B. All right. And that one stemmed mostly about the fact that she felt that Cardi B was uneducated and that Cardi B wasn't, you know, was also someone that the Democratic Party was using to try to get black votes. Um, but she had no basically no warrant or sh no social standing or information on like basically like she wasn't the person to be in the room with someone like Bernie Sanders talking about politics, right? Because she felt that she was uneducated, which is also interesting for me to read because when I was doing my episode on Azalea Banks last week, I did hear that both of them were also feuding. And one of the issues that Azalea Banks had with Cardi B was the fact that she felt that Cardi B was un uneducated, but also because she felt like Having Cardi B as kind of like the face of hip hop and rap and the face for black women was detrimental to black women because of the fact that she felt 
Cardi B was uneducated. Like, you know, we don't want to have a woman like this um, portraying black women. Okay, so I thought that was interesting that both of them, Azalea Banks and Candace Owens, had those feelings about um, Cardi B in particular. Okay, but kind of had her that I think that's where I started to see Candace Owens a lot more. Right. When she was feuding with uh, Cardi B. And then in 2022, uh, she was on the spotlight again for her conspiracy theories on the moon landing, which this one, uh, I don't even know why they mentioned this, because I feel like at this point, no one believes the moon landing was real. But apparently she was put back in the spotlight for saying something so controversial. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then just recently, um, in April 2022, she was noted for calling out the Walt Disney Company for being child groomers and pedophiles. And she called for a boycott of the company, which, again, I find interesting with that, because I do remember there were a bunch of um, news articles that came out about Disney and the state of Florida. Um, like they were finding out that a lot of the employees were uh, child predators and molesters. So I, I I thought that was crazy. Okay. So I go through all of those, all of her stance that I, you know, there were a lot more, but I feel like maybe those were the most controversial. So if I try to kind of break those down into issues that I would think are black issues, right? Let's say just based on what social media is talking about right now, what social media has talked about in the black world that I've seen, I'm going to break it down to her views on abortion, vaccines, welfare, Juneteenth, and the Black Lives Matter movement, okay? So when it comes to abortion, right, um, you know, recently we had the Roe v. Wade um, reversal, and so that that's been right now we're dealing with a lot of rioting in certain states, you know, because a lot of women are are feeling that... Um, you know, they don't have pro-choice anymore. They don't have the right to their bodies. They don't have the right, you know, to say what they want and the right to abortion. Ultimately, that's that's the issue. They, they're feeling like their right to have an abortion is being taken from them, especially um, because let's say someone gets raped or let's say, you know, the condom breaks and stuff like that. So all understandable. But Candace Owens, besides of besides her, which I never really looked into what her religious affiliation is, right? With all of this that I'm looking at, I mean, she mentions God in some of the videos and um, Instagrams that I've watched. She mentions God, but I don't know, is she Christian? Is she, you know, most conservatives are Christian. That's why they oppose, you know, things like gay marriage and, um, you know, transgenders having rights, you know, that that's where most, if not all of their views come from a religious standpoint. But when I, when I've watched her videos and I'll get back to the abortion thing, but when I've watched her videos, it was only in the abortion, um, decision or, you know, her stance on abortion that I ever hear her mention God. Okay. Which again, I, I found very interesting. But when it comes to the uh, issue on abortion, so recently actress Amy Schumer says that Roe v. Wade is uh, like a, what did she say? Okay, she said that Roe v. Wade is like uh, slavery, 
okay? Which Candace Owens found very offensive because she felt like Amy and like a lot of people in Hollywood and social media, she feels like they use racism and slavery to try to store up emotions in black people, okay? Now, uh, Candace called Planned Parenthood a racist organization that was initially called the Negro Project, which I had never heard before. Um, it was my first time even hearing that that term. It was also my first time hearing the term eugenicist. And she said it was, you know, founded by eugenicists. And I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up. And a eugenicist is... Eugenesis is a study of how to arrange reproduction with a human population to increase the concurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. So when it came to the Negro Project, i.e. Planned Parenthood, it was created by someone who didn't want Black Americans and in or immigrants um, to continue to have babies because they felt that it would dumb down the race, okay? Um, Candace talks about the passing of the great race. It was a book that spelled out from a scientific perspective that a dumber breed of people would come about if we continue to let um, minorities, in a sense, right? So mostly Black people, but Asian Americans, Italians, any immigrants coming into this country um, that we would basically kind of dumbed down the race, right? So Margaret Sanger, who was kind of like the face of Planned Parenthood, she wanted abortions as a way to get rid of undesirables, mostly Blacks and the mentally ill. And Candace also talks about um, the Mississippi appendix, appendaxomies, I'm sorry, I can't even say it right, which was something I had never heard of myself. But that was when um, black women were being told that they needed their appendants taken out. But what was really happening was they were making them infertile, you know, against their will. All right. But uh, Margaret Sanger argued that the black population would, um, you know, would basically kind of dumb down the American race. Okay. So what Candace was, has, is arguing, she's basically saying that, you know, we're, we're, a lot of black women especially are fighting for plant parenthood when plant parenthood it was only in existence to kill black babies you know she said that plant parenthood estimated has killed about 18 million black babies and plant parenthood mostly exists in majority black neighborhoods right um and she feels like the black population would have doubled if not for black parenthood well, for plant parenthood Okay, um, and she found it unfortunate that Amy Schumer would say such a thing um, because she feels like she's relying on the fact that black Americans don't know about their own history. Right. So, of course, uh, they would be celebrating the reversal of something like eugenics. Right. And she she states that she was pro-choice at one point, but she felt like she was brain, brainwashed. Right. So. What was interesting to me was when she said the fact that celebrities and just people in general, politicians in general, rely on the fact that on the fact that black Americans don't know about their own history. But it's true in a sense, right? Because I didn't know about that. I made a Facebook status as soon as as soon as I heard Candace say that, um, I made a Facebook status and I asked people, you know, who knew this? Who knew 
about Margaret Sanger, who knew the history of Planned Parenthood. And only like five people responded that they knew. One person responded and admitted that Candace told her (laughs) that she saw Candace's live. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I didn't know anything about it. No one, it wasn't something that was taught to me in school. Now, us as black people, what have we learned about school and what they're going to teach us? They're not going to give us all of the information. You know how much inventors, black inventors there are out there that I didn't even know about? I I wasn't, I didn't find out that a black person uh, invented the elevator until I was in my late 20s. Now, whose fault is that? I mean, it could be education system fault or it could be my fault for not researching it. Who knows? There's no way to really, you know, answer that, at least I think. (laughs) At least I want to think, right? So it's interesting, you know, that when it comes to abortion, she feels so strongly about it when it comes to black, black people, right? Especially for someone who right now we're considering a sellout and especially since she agreed you know she she's kind of been open about the fact that she was pro-choice at one point in time right so then now when it comes to vaccines um she's against you know the COVID vaccine and she was against people just blindly getting the COVID vaccine or getting any vaccine without doing research on it and she uses her own personal um her own personal issues with vaccine, in particular the HPV vaccine, right? So she talks about the fact that back in uh, back in college, which I remember this too, because when I was in college, you know, there was always someone sitting out front when you walk in with their little desk or you know pop up kind of shop thing, and they're like, "Oh, did you get the Gardasil?" and you know whatever. And then even my doctor's offices, you see it plastered over the wall, and of course they push it as something that needs to be done because you know you can get cervical cancer and you can die from cervical cancer, right? You can get HPV, which then leads to cervical cancer. So you got to get these three shots. The Gardasil shot uh, was the like the popular one. Um, so she talks about her experience with that. And she talks about the fact that, you know, she kind of blindly just listened to her doctor. Her doctor told her that this was something she needed to take. And, you know, he didn't explain to her the risks of it. He didn't, he didn't give her the percentages on, you know, the prevalence of, of HPV. He just told her it was something that was needed. And she said the first time she did it, she kind of passed out, but he told her, oh, you know, that's, that's okay. You probably just didn't eat that day or something, but she knew she had, but whatever that her doctor said it was fine. So she was fine. Well, it's three shots you you get. So when she went for the second shot, she said she threw up on all the doctors there. So finally they told her, you know, Hey, listen, you don't need to take it. You're having an adverse reaction to this shot. So she said, when she went home, she's like, you know what? I need to go ahead and research this shot and, you know, find out like, why are they pushing it so much? Especially when I'm having reactions like this to it. Well, through her research, she found out that only 0.0004% of women who actually contracted HPV died from it. And she also learned that 90% of women who contract HPV, it clears up on its own. Um, it is a, it's a, so it's an STI, I guess, but 
um, it clears up on its own. So she was trying to understand why something that I guess wasn't posing such a great danger to people, why it was being pushed to the point where now it's mandatory in some states and now it's being pushed for both males and females. And she explains that in 2019, it was, ex- the, you know, the mandatory, it was, so they're wanting it to be mandatory, but it was also extended to include children in daycare for both sex- sexes. So basically what she was, you know, going on to say in, in this uh, video was that we shouldn't be blindly trusting anything our doctors say. You know, we should be doing research on on these things independently, right? And she's, she she finally, she kind of said, which I found out crazy too, she's like, she finds it so crazy how controversial it has become to say that you want to research something independently or that you don't want to do something because you did your own independent research instead of just trusting your doctors. And how many of us do that, right? Not even just our doctors, teachers or um, parents or policemen. Think of like how many people in positions that we view of authority and of, you know, that have that more of a knowledge than us that we just kind of agree with or go with what they say and not do the research. We're not taught that it's okay to say, hey, listen, I'm going to wait a little bit. I want to kind of look up on this and then I'll come back and let you know if I want to do it. Right. So I thought that was that was interesting that she had that stance. Um, Now, welfare. She's she feels very strongly about welfare. And I, I told you guys that I will touch base on that a little later. So let's get into that one. So she feels that welfare is has been a tool by the Democratic part, uh, Party to keep black Americans in poverty. And I thought that was a very strong statement. Right. So what I did was I just I just went ahead and Googled does welfare, you know, keep people in poverty. And the first things I saw was welfare increases poverty. And I'm like, dang. And it wasn't like it had her name. I just did a regular Google search of just does welfare uh, keep people in poverty? And, you know, I went to school for social work. I was studying for my master's in social work. And that is one thing that we uh, we researched in class. Does, po- does welfare keep people in poverty, right? And we had to discuss how. But from Candace's point of view, um, she feels that what the Democratic Party was doing was just kind of throwing money at women and just letting them know, you know, if, just kind of keeping the Black family, which I've heard people argue this before, so not even, not even people like uh, Candace Over, conservative, but just... Um, people that are very, let's say, devoted to the black community, they feel like welfare has split up, not just the jail system, of course, more than that, but also welfare has has kept the black families apart to where uh, Candace notates that in 1965, when they first started, you know, when they first introduced the welfare system, 24% of black infants were born to single mothers. And then she states that, 72 percent now 72 percent of black infants have been born to single mothers and she feels that black people are poorer today because of welfare okay she even uh read a speech 
by Linda Mee Johnson. And I won't go into the speech, but she just talks about the fact that the year before introducing welfare, he freed the slave. He signed, you know, the Civil Rights Act that kind of gave us some more rights. But she notates that, you know, while freeing us, we were also being enslaved at the same time, right? Because now we're free, but then now we also need to be taken care of with welfare, Okay, and Candace feels that Democrats want Black Americans to be dependent on the on 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 welfare. They want to, they want us to be dependent on government policies. So they push handouts for Black America, and they don't like to see Black Americans empowered. They want to use us as pawns. And she felt so strongly about that that she also um, wrote a book about it. Uh, she wrote a book called Blackout, and it talks about the ways that liberal policies are hurting Black Americans and hinder their ability to rise above poverty, live independently, and have successful lives and be an active part of the American dream. That was by Goodreads. Now, when it comes to the active part of the American dream part, they kind of lost me there because, of course, you know, Black Americans are far from the American dream um, right now. But why is that? Okay, so I'm pretty sure in her book, she kind of lays out why she thinks that is, but she's a conservative, so it's not going to be in the way we're used to, right? Then she touches on Juneteenth and Juneteenth, and she calls out the Black Lives uh, Lives movement. I'll touch on that one first, the Black Lives uh Black Lives Matter movement, because they kind of both go hand in hand, right? And it kind of goes into when she mentioned earlier that social media and celebrities and, you know, politics, they kind of use our pain and they use our suffering as a way to get us to react, right? To to strike emotion out of us, but also to capitalize out of, uh, uh, you know, capitalize on us, right? We've seen it. Black Lives Matter. Um, Candace even said this. She said that it allowed white people, celebrities as well, to put a black screen on their profile and pretend they understood the the struggle of black Americans, right? She actually has a documentary right now calling out BLM uh, for all the funds and donations that they they got that went to no, it it didn't help any black people actually. Uh, It helped them out because they were able to buy million dollar houses from it, right? And that that came out just recently. but we see with the Black Lives Black Lives Matter, right? What were people doing? Plastering it all over their all over their businesses, right? So of course, what did that tell us? Oh, if they have Black Lives Matter, that means they care about me. I, I I'm gonna go spend my money with them. But it became more of a place to spend money with rather than actually doing something for us, besides just putting up a black screen, right? And then when it came to Juneteenth, recently that became a federal holiday. But what came out of that? They were putting Juneteenth on ice cream and Juneteenth on this and buy this Juneteenth shirt and this. It became capitalistic. You know, it became a money thing for a lot of businesses. And it became less about the history of these things. You know, and the way Candace sees it is that Juneteenth is a way to keep black people angry, you know, from from her standpoint. She thinks that it's something that's just constantly reminding black Americans that we should be angry, you know, and she feels like Democrats keep us in a perpetual state of anger and fear. And again, I say, is she wrong for that? 
because we've seen such a such a push in even Black Twitter telling us not to support businesses who are just slapping Juneteenth on on their products. They're telling us to stay away from those businesses and look for the Black businesses, look for the authentic Black businesses. I mean, it's to the point where soon as, look at Black History Month, as soon as you walk in Target or some of these stores, there is a section for Black people. They have a section, ethnic section for us now. But it seems to always be kind of highlighted and pushed during certain months or and now during certain times of the year. Okay. So let me go back to her TED Talk. Okay. And then I'll wrap things up. So her TED Talk, it was called The Truth About Activism. Right. And that's what she discussed the racism she uh, experienced in school. And it was in 2007. Okay. But what she talked, so it was all over the news stations. The FBI got involved. Um, she said that she had NL, members of the NAAA, NAACP in front of her house with cameras, you know, to talk to her about the injustices of this. So like I said, and she said that it really changed the dynamics of her household, right? Her parents were fighting. Her siblings were fighting. Um, but she felt like, and then she said she experienced anorexia for five years, you know, because that was the only way that she felt some control about, uh, control with her life after dealing with this. But she brought up a good point. She talks about digital activism. You know, she said that it's a quick way to spread love and activism around the world just by pushing a button and creating a hashtag, right? You can hashtag anything. And she said she feels that if this situation that she dealt with in 2007 was in the era of hashtag, she would have been a hashtag, right? Hashtag racism, hashtag whatever. But as soon as you hit enter and send, we, we're going to forget about the hashtag. It's not going to be a trend. It's going to die down slowly. But the people who are affected by it are going to live with that hashtag forever, Right? So she was explaining the fact that like our generation were like social lab rats and we were unwitting participant in great social experiments with no full guide or consideration of the social implications of all these changes when it comes to the hashtag kind of like rhetoric or agenda trend. It She said that it makes us, ha- the hashtag thing makes us more connected and further apart. Because we write off empathy in favor of proving a point. And then, like I said, we type hit, we type and hit enter and it's done for us, but not the person on the other, other side who's still dealing with it. Right. So when I think about that, I think about, you know, and she she brought that up point with like pray for Paris and, you know, pray for Ghana and even now pray for Ukraine. But how fast do those trends fade once it's not popular anymore? Right. She kind of says that um, we can go, we quickly go on to the next social media issue. You know, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and we become, can become an act in, of inhumanity. That's what she kind of note, notates as digital. She kind of connects digital activism to kind of like an act of inhumanity because she's saying that back in the day, activism meant being arrested and maybe being killed, but now, it kind of allows for a level of detachment where once I hit that hashtag and send, that's it. 
because again, unless it's still trending, unless it's still popular, you know, there's nothing that I have to think about it. I did my part. I put the hashtag, I put, I'm in my screen black and that's literally all I have to do. I don't have to do anything else. That's how I showed my, my support. But what did putting black squares or making our profile pictures black for a day and, you know, for Black Lives Matter, what did that change for black lives? Nothing. So the connection that I thought of with this series is, you know, when we were when protecting black women was such a popular trend, what happened to it and what did it really mean? That's what this series is about. What does it really mean? So with everything that I went over on Candace, can we call her a sellout? Because if I'm to play devil's advocate, I see a, a woman who's, who, who is fighting for black people, just not in the way we're used to someone fighting for us. When we think of a black woman that's fighting for our rights, we think of like the Angela Davises of the world, right? Maybe like Afro or natural, natural hairstyles. They're chanting or rioting. They're getting in your face. They're fighting for black men, you know, f- fighting uh, social injustice. And most importantly, they're fighting for us as Democrats. Most, most likely, right? So can we not protect black women who so happens to be a Republican? Is that why we've pushed her out? Because there are no black women like her fighting for us in the way that she feels we need to be fought for? Is it because there isn't anyone who we hold to high prestige who's defending her or telling us we should defend her? Or is it because she beefed with a celebrity we liked and that celebrity doesn't like her? So now we have to dislike her. Kanye West likes her, but he also likes Azalea Banks. And black women seem to like neither her nor Candace. So like I ask you all to do in every episode is to think about why you've chosen not to like Candace Owen or any black woman that I talk about on this show. Where did it start from? And was it your idea or did social media tell you not to? And why are we so quick to cast out people who think differently from us? I think about like Malcolm X, and I'm definitely not comparing the two, but I do believe that they would have had similar views, right? In capacity when it comes to not trusting Black Lives Matter. I don't think that Malcolm X would have been for Black Lives Matter, or even he wouldn't have seen Juneteenth as a win for us, having that as a, as a holiday. He definitely would have been against taking vaccine and he definitely would have been pushing for the empowerment of black people from an economic standpoint with emphasis on less dependence on the government. He would have seen all of that as a setup for for us to remain under their control. Right. But I just think about like what happened to him because he decided to switch up his views and kind of go against not even black people, just the way he supported us, right? Not from such a violent or, you know, whatever type of rhetoric. And he was killed for it. He was cast out. Now, of course, we still supported him in a sense, but we weren't able to protect him. Now, I don't know if that lack of protection was due to the fact that he switched up his views on things. I mean, shit, freaking, uh, what's his name? Can't even think of his name right now. That boxer pushed him to the side immediately immediately and regretted it later. 
So I ask you all again, are we protecting black women or all right guys well that's the end of my ted talk please like share and give any suggestion for this week's episode and look out for episode four of my 10-part series of are we protecting black women thanks for listening and have a great day have a great night actually